This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. This message has such a, uh, an alignment with what we're doing for action. You know, when we think of action, it's faith in action. Faith and action and faith in action. Those things have to go hand in hand. And, you know, to rise up and reign is a very powerful mandate. And that'll be the theme of the action conference. But leading up to it, we want to activate our faith long before we get to the action program, before we get to the action event. Uh, I've just begun to understand some of the things that God's trying to do in the body of Christ. And today I want to address one of those. There is a prophecy or a series of prophecies that have been spoken over the body of Christ probably since the beginning of Christianity, but especially here at the end times or the season we would know as the end times. And it seems that as God is restoring things to the body of Christ, he's restoring an apostolic authority. And at the same time, that apostolic authority is broadening beyond the walls of the church. It's broadening into the marketplace. It's broadening into the highways of education and medicine. And, and, and every facet of our society, God is raising up apostolic leaders. Much of this has to do with, God, with what God is preparing for the body of Christ in terms of a great transfer of authority, a great transfer of wealth. And many people get nervous when you talk about wealth in church. You talk about money in church. But the fact of the matter is if we don't speak about this topic and if we don't deliver ourselves from what I call a spirit of poverty or a poverty mindset, we will never accomplish the purposes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today I want to bring a message to you called Neutralizing the Spirit of Poverty. And as I reflect on the financial situation of our country, Zimbabwe, and, and of Africa, and the financial situation around the world, I, I realize that one of the greatest challenges to God's people and to the church is what I believe something we need to rid ourselves of. And I said it earlier, it's a, it's a poverty mindset. It's a mindset that is steeped in poverty, steeped in lack. I believe the most formidable obstacle that's keeping God from releasing the wealth that he's promised to his people is this poverty mindset. You see, when a wealth transfer happens, and I believe that we're on the cusp of that happening, I can't tell you how many people, how many prophets, how many great men of God that I know, let alone other circles, that are talking about God is up to something. There's something shifting. There's, there's a miracle shift. There's a financial shift. And, and as I listen to these things and as I am engaged in these things at certain levels, I am aware that the only thing that is hindering us is that even in some of our cases, if God was to shift wealth towards us, the mentality of poverty would keep us from being able to do anything with it. I'm deeply concerned in the nation of Zimbabwe at how the situation around 
the structure of our government and the structure of the finances of our government, which are, by the way, man-made, and the financial shortages are man-made, and the, the way that the government is run are diabolical structures. They are not godly structures. None of them is based in Scripture. And therefore, they are designed by their very nature to keep people poor. They're not liberating to the economy. They're not liberating to people. The laws that we're passing do not liberate people to become creative. They stifle creativity. They do not liberate companies to become powerful and dynamic and and exporting. They stifle that. And so what's happened is because of the leadership of our nation that have poverty mindsets, and you can tell poverty because it's either fueled by greed or by fear. See, all poverty mindsets are fueled by greed or fueled by fear. Well, if you just read the newspaper, you can tell what fuels our economy. Greed on the one hand and fear on the other. But what that does is it percolates down into the hearts and the lives of the people of the nation and even into the hearts of Christians. And some of you and some of us have developed a poverty spirit, a spirit of lack and a spirit of survival. Instead of a spirit of trust and a spirit of prosperity that the Holy Spirit wants to put into the hearts of his people. You see, there's a man named Mark Pfeiffer. And uh, I was reading his book the other day and uh, he was was talking about, you know, this spirit. It's exactly that. It's an evil spirit. It's not a psychological malady. It's not something that we can fix with education or with teaching. You can't fix this with white papers. You can't fix this with plans from the government. You have to, you're not going to counsel this thing out. It's an evil spirit that has to be driven out. It's a spirit of poverty. People say, well, I don't like to talk about spirits and things like that. Well, in Africa, we understand spiritual things. And its co-partner is a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear. And the Bible says we have not been given a spirit of fear. But I want you to know something. We have not been given a spirit of poverty either. You see, Mark Pfeiffer said this. He said, the spirit of poverty pulls blinders over our eyes and puts fear in our hearts. It steals our ambitions and dreams. It tears us down with reminders of what we lack and makes us feel lesser than other people. In the end, the spirit of poverty will drive us to the backyard with shovel and treasure in hand. It convinces us that the greatest victory that we could ever win would be not to lose. So we dig our holes and we bury our treasures. I want you to know something. The enemy is very much aware of this great transfer of wealth that's about to take place in the world. And when this transfer of wealth takes place, it will measurably accelerate the kingdom of God. And conversely, it will weaken and reduce the kingdoms of our enemies, the devil. Now the enemy's chief tactic is to thwart or at least delay the transfer of this wealth. 
And the way he does that is he deploys evil spirits, spirits of poverty, with an assignment to impose their will and their force on God's people, both individually and collectively. And that's why, even here in our country, I was told by a leading politician that one of the reasons that many of our successful businessmen, and we've raised up many in this church, did not succeed as well as others is because many of them, because of their kingdom beliefs, which are contrary to scientific socialism, which believe more in a free enterprise system than in a controlled government system, because they believed in that, were systematically targeted and were not given the blessings that others were, nor the protections. In hindsight, I look back, I think that's probably true. But that cannot stop the kingdom of God, nor can it stop the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, I have to ask you a question, or maybe make a statement, because if you don't believe this, then there's no sense in us going on today. Is prosperity the will of God? Well, that was pretty weak. We got we got wait, 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 wait. Uh, we got about a third of us, maybe a quarter of us, that believe that prosperity is the will of God. And that's probably about right. Because many people today don't believe that prosperity is the will of God. You see, the opposite of poverty is prosperity. And there seems to be an aversion to prosperity among many people today. And more and more so even among the believers. Politically, around the world, there seems to be more and more of an aversion against rich people, against prosperous people, against productive people. There's a divide taking place. Somehow, productivity, prosperity, wealth is somehow being associated with evil or corruption. But I'm telling you, in most cases, the exact opposite is true. So let me establish the fact that the will of God is not for only believers to prosper, but for the human race to prosper. prosper. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 28, the 11th verse, the Bible says, The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you. Well, I want you to know something. This is, of course, from the chapter of the Bible that spells out the blessings and the curses. There's 15 verses of blessings, and I think there's like 40 blessing passages of cursing. I'm thinking, man, I, I just want to stay on the blessing side. How about that? Amen? But you see, here's what I want you to understand. Generosity is very much a part of the nature of God. He's a generous God. The counterpart to this in the New Testament is in 1 John 3, where it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. God wants you to prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, I know that many people view prosperity in terms of material wealth or in terms of possessions. 
But I think that you can see through this passage of Scripture that it's more than just financial or material wealth. It includes health. It includes wholeness of your body and your soul as well. In fact, uh, when we had Ed Sovoso come and visit us, he talked about four kinds of pro- or four kinds of poverty. He says the systemic poverty centers around relational poverty, motivational poverty, financial poverty, and spiritual poverty. And those are systemic. It's very hard to motivate somebody when they're poor. A poor person's hard to motivate. A poor a, a, per, a person under a poverty spirit is hard to motivate. You know, the first time I saw that was when I was in Calcutta, India, 1977, and uh, nine million people in one square mile, and they're sitting on top of each other. I mean, I think everybody had maybe a square meter. And they couldn't even clean up their own square meter. And I I remember walking through the streets of Calcutta saying, what is wrong with these people? Why can't they even just clean up around them? I've never seen such filth. I've never seen such squalor. But I remember looking into, now you're a young man. You don't understand anything. But I remember looking into these people's eyes. Such hopelessness. Such despair. Such lack of motivation. They're not motivated to do anything let alone clean up. That's what a spirit of poverty does. It takes away your motivation to do something. Let me just talk a little bit about multifaceted prosperity. There's spiritual prosperity. (laughs) That's that's simply having a strong personal relationship with God. There's no greater poverty than not being in relationship with God. To be spiritually impoverished is the worst poverty. That's why you must be born again. That's why we preach the message of you must be born again. You must allow God to come and cause your spirit to become recreated, to be born again. Then there's physical prosperity. Now, physical prosperity is your good health. To be healthy. I read the book by Steve Jobs, and he died of cancer. He would have given all of his wealth just to be healthy. And he said, health is wealth. Your health is your wealth. Not your money. Your money isn't your You can always make money, but I'll tell you what, if you lose your health, you've lost everything. Then there's social prosperity. That's simply positive relationships with other people and with society as a whole. God says that we're to be at peace with all men, especially those of the household of faith. We're, we're supposed to have relationships. One of the things I've seen this poverty spirit do is break down relationships. We went through the stage where we were burning money, and you couldn't trust anybody. Let me borrow some money. Why? So that I can go burn it, and I'll pay you back. But then, you know how that happened. And the bottom line is that we're back in that again. We're back in the same exact nightmare that we were when they created a false currency the first time. And it's having the same exact result. Multi-tier trading floors, multi-tier pricings, and what they promised was that you'd get your U.S. dollars out of the bank if you went for them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We knew that wasn't going to happen. Didn't you know that was going to happen? Of course we knew this was going to happen, unless you're a government minister. Now you can have your money because you have access to the upper tier that isn't subject to the laws. Does that make sense? But it percolates down to where we have little social prosperity. People don't trust each other. People have very little expendable income. They can't do anything other than survive. And that creates a spirit of poverty in the nation. And of course, the last is material prosperity. And that's having plentiful finance and plentiful possessions. There was a research done by a United States organization called the Pew Research Center. And they did a research. uh, They went out and they targeted, I think, about 40,000 people. And they had a questionnaire talking about the happiness among Americans in the sociological realm. It noted that those who attended religious services weekly or more often were happier than those who attended less often. It said those who seldom or never attend services are the least likely to say that they're very happy. Regarding physical prosperity, the report stated that the healthier people tend to be happier people. Regarding social prosperity, the researchers, these researchers admitted that they didn't fully explain or could not understand or explain their finding, but the Republicans were happier than Democrats and Independents. <laughs> now, I'm, listen, I... I'm not espousing any political party here, okay? But, uh, but they also said that uh, there was no significant dis- difference between cat owners and dog owners either. So, I, I mean, <laughs> finally, regarding material prosperity, they said those with higher incomes are more likely to be very happy. See, here's what I want you to understand. A spirit of poverty does its best to distance all of those that it can from spiritual, physical, social, and material prosperity. You know, I've met many people in the ministry around the world. This isn't just in Africa. And they have all kinds of reasons for justifying their poverty and their poverty mentality. Not only people in churches, but pastors and leaders. I have seen abuses of the so-called prosperity message. And now in Zimbabwe, we are seeing the abuse of the so-called prophets merchandising their, making merchandise of their followers with various means of witchcraft, with various means of control and manipulation. But that's a poverty spirit. Even you know that. Even if you went and bought that holy water, that oil, you think you're going to get something for nothing. You think you're going to get a breakthrough for nothing. It doesn't work that way. And I can show you through the scriptures that that's not how it works. But I've also seen the error of the idea that we should only ask for our needs to be met. I've heard many well-meaning pastors and believers say, God does not promise prosperity, but only sufficiency. I think this can be evidence of a peculiar kind of poverty mentality. Why would, you get, why would you ask God only for sufficiency? Well, that's obvious. It's so that you have your needs met. But when you really think it through, 
I want you to begin to see how selfish that thinking really is. Mark Gorman said it this way. He says, on several occasions, people have told me proudly, I'm not greedy. All I want is enough to pay my bills. My reply is, well, you may not be greedy, but you sure are selfish. You should want more than enough to pay your bills. You should want enough to have extra so you can help someone else. What does the Apostle Paul say about this? In 2 in in, in, in Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the eighth verse, that I'm reading from the Good News Translation, it says, And God is able to give you more than you need, so that you will always have all you need for yourselves and more than enough for every good cause. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what God says. What do you say? Come on, I want to hear what you say. What do you say? Oh, if I could just have enough. If I could just have my bills paid. If I could just pay my school fees. What is it that you say? You see, that's the poverty mentality. That's the poverty spirit speaking. Abundance is better than sufficiency. The opposite of prosperity is poverty. Poverty is the will of the devil. What does the devil do? He assigns a demonic principality to keep as many people as he possibly can in this world poor. See, if somebody stays poor, they're never going to prosper. And this spiritual entity, this spiritual force of darkness is, a spirit, is called a spirit of poverty. Now, earlier I mentioned the blessings of Deuteronomy. I love all the blessings. But let me flip-flop and show you what the curses are. I'll just take one verse. There's, like I said, I think there's 40 verses of, of curses for those who disobey God. But in Deuteronomy 28, verse 48, it says, Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord shall send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Folks, I, I don't know about you, but throughout the scriptures, God says, I put before you blessing and cursing. I put before you prosperity and poverty. He says, but I'm asking you to choose Blessing. I'm choose prosperity. Choose life. A lot of this is our choice. A lot of this is that we have to resist the devil and he flees from us. We have to push back these principalities, these powers. We have to fight against these mindsets. You know, as I've studied, I've, I've tried to figure out how, how did this spirit of poverty creep into the church? And one of the ways that keep crept into the church is that we somehow have this idea that piety is directly related to poverty. And I believe that this has in part happened uh, in the early church, two or three hundred years after the inception of the church, when the leaders of the church began to move from a Hebrew way of thinking, Hebrew thought patterns, into a more Greco-Roman thought pattern. They began to think more Greek in their thinking. And the church began to absorb the, 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 the culture and 
Finally, it came to a head when Emperor Constantine began to make Christianity, which is really a form of Mithraism, because it really wasn't Christianity. It was Mithraism dressed up to look like Christianity, but he made it a state religion, which it was never meant to be. State control of religion is never the best for the church. And even in Zimbabwe, we must do all we can to resist the state controlling the church. The church will be here long after this state diminishes. States come and go. Governments come and go. But the church will be here long after the governments leave. The church is a government. It's the government of God on earth. And its voice is... Its voice strengthens and it wanes according to the government of its people, according to the beliefs of its people, according to the level of prosperity that the people have, social prosperity. If you have real social prosperity, you have the ability to change laws. You have the ability to influence governments. When we lose our power, when we become poverty-stricken, we lose our power to change laws. We lose our, we lose our voice. But God is raising up a people who has a prosperity and he's bringing a wealth transfer because the world is in dire need of truth and prosperity. Greco-Roman thinking, by the way, is simply this. It divides the human existence into two worlds. It's called dualism. You have the material world and then you have the spiritual world. And the idea is that uh, these two worlds are opposed to each other. The more material you were, the more material wealth you had, the more material in, in the way you viewed life, the less spiritual you could be. This is where we got the separation between clergy and laity. And that began to accelerate in the body of Christ as the church grew older. Because of the great majority of Christians were material and were considered not spiritual enough to be close to God... They became the laity, and there were a few who were able to renounce the material side of life enough to become spiritual, and they were the ones designated to connect the laity to heaven. They were called the clergy, and they were separated from the laity by what we call ordination. Now, I believe that God does ordain people, that God has caused gifts to be raised up, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the body of Christ. But I think we've made a very poor distinction between those who are full-time supposedly paid in the ministry, which we need to do church like we do it. But we must also realize that these gifts operate on different levels in different spheres of authority and different spheres of responsibility. And so God is awakening that in the body of Christ and there's not that big of a distinction between those who are material and spiritual. You can't separate those things. We're all together. We're spirit, soul, and body. By the way, we're not dualistic. We're tripartite. You have a spiritual being, and you have a physical being, and you have a soulish being, a mind, will, and emotions. And those things are all mixed together, and it's great for teaching purposes, but you can't separate them that easily. Part of the reason or part of the problem that the church became poverty in our mindset was some of our heroes of the faith come from the monastic period when it was popular to 
take a vow of voluntary poverty. The Bible speaks of that. It's a gift in the Bible. The Bible talks about, you know, it's comparing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And right there, it talks about love. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, it profits me, or it, it uh, um, Whatever it does. <laughs> just lost my mind. But it goes on. It says, though I give my body to be burned and I give all my possessions to the poor, it profits me nothing. Well, it's not saying that you don't do that, but there's a place, and I believe if you read through there, you're going to see that there are certain people that make that voluntary poverty, that voluntary step towards living like those that they're associating with, living among the poor that God uses. I think of Sister Teresa, I think of, or uh, Mother Teresa, I think of, of a number of people that God has used incredibly. But those are the exception to the rule. Those are gifts, not the rule. And what happens is when you make them the rule, <laughs> guess what happens? All of us feel guilty if we have anything. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you had something? And that's what a spirit of poverty does. It makes you feel guilty for ever having anything. God puts wealth in our hands so that we can have an abundance of all things and be able to give into every good work. Be able to be liberal in what we do for him and for his kingdom. Amen? Time Magazine did a cover story called the top 100 Christian leaders of history. St. Francis of Assisi was on the Catholic side and John Wesley was on the Protestant side in this poverty syndrome. Now, St. Francis of Assisi, although coming from a family that was very wealthy and had a very successful import-export business, renounced his family. He renounced his family inheritance, and he took a vow of poverty, and he started the Franciscan Order of Monks. And in his life, he insisted on solemnizing his marriage to Lady Poverty, and he chose to live with a subsistence income. Even at his death, he would not wear his own robe. He borrowed a robe to die in. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I don't, I, I'm not making fun of this. I'm just saying God used that man incredibly, but he became an icon. He became an idol in the Catholic Church. I grew up in the Catholic Church. When I was ordained, you'll never guess what my confirmation, or not ordained, when I was uh, uh, confirmed, you'll never guess what my confirmation name was. Yeah, you guessed it, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> I had to break that spirit of poverty off, I promise you. But some of you Protestants, now some of you came out of the Catholic Church, some of us Protestants, we had John Wesley. Now, even though he regularly handed out large amounts of money, he held poverty in high esteem. He lived only on the bare necessities, and he was reported as saying this, when I die, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and, that, and all mankind may be aware Excuse me. You and all mankind may bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I read stories about these saints, and I read stories about men and, and, and even women like these, I feel guilty. 
like I said earlier, I don't believe that these people were deceived. Nor do I think that they were under a spirit of poverty. I believe that they had a gift from God. And I think I could build a strong case for a gift known as voluntary poverty. Let me define it. The special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to renounce material comfort and luxury, to adopt a personal lifestyle equivalent of those living at the poverty level in a given society in order to serve God more effectively. I think there are people that do that. But I don't think that we're all supposed to do that. So maybe I can make a quick comment on whether or not Jesus was poor. First of all, he was born into a carpenter's home. By the way, carpenters made a very good living in the time of Christ. So I don't think he grew up in a poor family. Secondly, many people say, well, Jesus was born in a manger. He was poor. He couldn't even afford. No, 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 no. He wasn't born in a manger because Joseph was poor. In fact, the Bible teaches us that Joseph was trying to get into the inn or the hotel, but there were no rooms in the hotel, so he made up and took over a whole manger so he could make a place for his son to be born. Soon after the birth of Jesus, wise men came from the east. And I know that we have these little nativity scenes where there's three little wise men with this little box of goodies. And they, you know, and, 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 and it looks like, you know, we've created this. These caravans would come with hundreds of people. And they came from the east to find the king of Israel upon whom they wanted to bestow the gifts Befitting an Asian king. Now, I've read many, many books on this. And the figures and the numbers are staggering as to how much money that might have been compared to other times that that gift giving happened to other kings. One guy went so far as to say it could have been as much as 400 million of our dollars. I don't know. Just give me the tithe. I'll take that. (laughs) But you have to understand, Joseph had enough money to take his whole family, relocate to Egypt, stay in Egypt for a few years until Herod died, and then relocate his family back to Nazareth. Second Corinthians is often used to characterize Jesus as being poor. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Can I tell you something? <laughs> this verse refers to Jesus' departure from heaven and his arrival on earth, not of his net worth on earth. Another verse is found in Matthew, the 8th chapter, the 20th verse, and it says, Foxes have holes, and the, birds have, uh, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Again, this is a simple reference to his itinerant ministry. He didn't have a permanent home because he was ten- continually on the road ministering, continually on the road preaching. It wasn't talking about him being rich or poor. He carried 13 people with him wherever he went. He had a treasurer. For goodness sake, if you don't have any money, you don't need a treasure. Let me tell you that. And the Bible says that that treasurer was regularly stealing from the money. 
If there's enough to steal and, and nobody notices, there's got to be quite a bit there. Then it goes on and says, and we see in the Bible it says that there, in Luke 8 verse 3 it says that there were several women who accompanied Jesus. It says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. What's a steward? Herod's business manager. And Susanna and many others provided for him from their substance. So Chusa was the equivalent of the minister of finance for the nation of Israel. So I think that the resources at their disposal were probably considerably, or they were at least considerable, wouldn't you say? Don't you think that the minister of finance in our country could find some, rustle up some money to give to his wife? <laughs> to help a little itinerant ministry? All right, let me close here. We need to, what do we need to do to move from poverty to prosperity? I want to give you three steps for overcoming the spirit of poverty and helping us to move from poverty to prosperity. Number one is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. It says, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. Number one, you need to listen to the prophets. I'm not talking about all these people running around selling holy water. And holy dirt, and making you eat snakes, and grass. and that, That's not the kind of prophet I'm talking about. I'm talking about men of God who bring the word of God accurately and who have the ability to speak into your life in a powerful word that aligns with the word of God that causes you to break off these spirits of poverty and begin to prosper at what you lay your hand to, the work that you do with your own hands. One of the problems with many Christians is is that they have developed the idea that somehow everything's just going to happen by a miracle. But the Bible says in Ephesians, I think it's 3.28, it says, work with your own hands that you might have. Work with your own hands. That you might have. That you might be able to give. And share. Part of the problem with people is today. They don't want to work with their own hands. We have young people today. That would rather stand on a street corner. And sell a buddy card. Than to get their hands dirty. And learn how to do a trade. We've raised some of our young people to not know how to do anything with their own hands. As much as you may despise Rhodesia for what it stood for, let me tell you what they did with their children. Every child at the age of 17 or 18 when they graduated from high school had to spend two years in national service. And during that time, they had to learn a trade at the same time. 
They had to become a bricklayer, a, pat, a patent maker. They had to be a, a tool and die fitter. They had, to, they had to do something that they could learn to do with their hands. And after their two years of national service, after their two years of apprenticeship, then they were prepared to go to university. We had a glut. This nation had a glut of aircraft mechanics, a glut of people that could fix anything and everything. Well-trained, apprenticed. And today... When the boom comes to Zimbabwe, we do not have enough of anything. There's not enough bricklayers. There's not enough plumbers. There's not enough electricians. There's not enough of anything. So where will those skills come from? Probably South Africa. Because they're not here. Not skilled artisans I don't know I think if I was a young Zimbabwean I think we have a glut of accountants I would think about you know what I think because the price that people are going to pay people to do those jobs when the need comes you can set your price because we need that done I would learn some of those skills I would build those companies. I would start hiring and training people. I would have the next construction company, the next plumbing company. But you can't have that company unless you know how to do that job. Uh, Listen to the prophets. I'm telling you, there's a financial shift coming. But it will not benefit those that are blinded by a spirit of poverty. It will only benefit those who have resisted and broken free from the spirit of poverty. The second thing you need to do to break a spirit of poverty is to operate in the opposite spirit. Now, I've studied many, many books and I've talked to many teachers. But both secularly and spiritually... If you want to change your life, if you want to get out of the mire you're in, you've got to do the opposite to what you're doing in order to get a different result. Especially so in the spiritual world. If you're bound by a spirit of poverty, you've got to begin to think of yourself as being prosperous. You've got to see yourself as prosperous. You can't continue to stay in a poverty mindset, you've got to begin to see yourself in a prosperity mindset. You see, we have to learn to operate in the spirit that is opposite of the spirit that's causing our oppression. So for spiritual prosperity... Make sure you're in church regularly. Make sure you're at prayer meetings. Make sure you're seeking God. Make sure you're reading the Bible. That'll build you up spiritually. Do the opposite of what you've been doing. Stop watching so much television. Stop playing so many video games. Stop watching so much of your Facebook and and, and all the things, your selfies. Get back into the Word of God. Build yourself up spiritually. Do the opposite of what you've been doing. For physical prosperity... It's important that you exercise. You know, I go to the gym every single day of my life, Monday through Friday. One hour a a day, I go to the gym. 
But you know what? I don't want to be 70 years old and hobbling up here. Bless, praise God, brothers and sisters. I remember back when I was a young man and I knew how to walk. I want to be like Danny Curl. Come on, baby. But you got to exercise. You got to eat well. You can't keep putting all that refined sugar. Fizzy drinks. You can't, guys, you can't keep eating sugar. You can't keep eating sugar. Not at the rate you're doing it. Africa never had diabetes until all that refined food started coming here. We never had colon cancer until all the refined food started coming here. We have all this processed foods. And I'll tell you what, my wife and I go for walks and we go pick up what we call donkey weed. It just grows and we take it home and we eat that. And you don't even eat it anymore because it's too African. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's healthy. And you better and, and, and get proper medical exams. Study. Make sure you, your body's working right, okay? For social prosperity. Choose your friends carefully. Strengthen your marriage. Strengthen your family. And then for material prosperity, learn how to receive abundance and enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know what? There's nothing better than having something in your pocket. And enjoy doing something with your family. Enjoy doing whatever you're going to do. And whatever that is for you. I remember days when... To be honest with you, I just used to love to watch people because once a week they'd get their day off. And over the weekend, you could see everybody, sometimes with a tie and a jacket and a hat. And I mean, they're off to town. Ooh, baby. And I said, you know, we're off to town. And, and there was something in the step of those people. <laughs> just something about that that made me happy. I want that prosperity to come back to Zimbabwe again. Amen. Finally, the last point. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Seven times a day we praise you, Lord. It's almost 11 o'clock. For those early birds, we give you praise a minute early. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know. I'm just going by the back clock here. Guys, you can't have prosperity and habitually cover sin, habitually stay in sin. We all confess our sin as soon as we, confess, as, as we commit it. But guys, you need to make yourself accountable regarding those weaknesses in your life. That's part of your relationships as well. But let's not let sin rule in our lives. Amen? A couple of final thoughts. In my life, 
I know this. I've never gone to another level of prosperity, another level of blessing, without first being taken to another level of giving and faith. Every single time it's happened that way. It's always that way because the Bible says it's seed before harvest. And if you're going to go to the next level, you're going to have to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. We're giving you an opportunity through our faith and action pledge to be able to do that. It's not so that we can get money from you. I, I want you to understand something. We will find the finances to do whatever we need to do. But it's for you to activate your faith to break the spirit of poverty that is gripping this nation, gripping some of your families, and have gripped generations. I'm not, I, I'm not asking you to give a, a miracle seed today. I, I'll give you a miracle prophecy. I'm saying, no, no, no. You do what God tells you to do. Activate your faith. Do the three things I said. Listen to the prophets. But we need to get our act together here in, as a church. Here's the other thing you have to do. Every time God's ever stretched me, for the next level, he's always reminded me of my past victories. I've always been able to draw courage from, man, I'll never forget. I mean, the first time that I gave $100, oh my gosh. You have to understand, I only came out here with $700. And when I went back to the States the first time, I hadn't, I mean, there was nothing in these pockets, nothing. I was desperate. Can I tell you what God began to, he began to teach me about prosperity. He began to teach me how his ways work. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting in a meeting and I have $102 in my pocket. And they time to give this offering and the guy gives a really good offering. And I'm going to give $2. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, give the 100 I said, I bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I knew it was the devil. <laughs> but it persisted. So I reached into my pocket, and I, I promise you, I think I had tears in my eyes. Because <laughs> when I gave that $100, that was it, baby. There was nothing left. But can I tell you, God was, God was teaching me. And God's teaching you, too. If you'll listen to his voice, he'll teach you about how to get out of the spirit of poverty. He'll teach you how to break it. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Before long, $100 didn't seem that bad. I got pretty comfortable. I can give 100 It still hurt, but I gave 100 And then I'll never forget the first time he said 1000 I said, 1000 I didn't hear that. 1000 Before long, no, 10000 $10,000. And I'll never forget the one time God said, give 100000 $100,000. Where do people get $100,000 from? I don't see that kind of money, but can I tell you something? When you're a steward and you have a spirit of liberality, God says, I'll give you everything you need to be a blessing and to be blessed. And, and you know what? I, I just become the conduit. I had money come into an account, went out of an account, in an account, out of an account. And it was always enough to keep me saturated. I was always hydrated.
and still am. I want you to listen and obey what you sense the Lord saying to you. This great wealth transfer that I'm talking about will not come as long as the body of Christ continues to allow a spirit of poverty to have its way amongst us. But I believe that we can neutralize the spirit of poverty. Today, maybe as you sit here, you're saying to me, Pastor, you're speaking to my heart. I hear God speaking to me. I want to help you neutralize the spirit of poverty in your life. I want to help you take responsibility for your life. I want you to take responsibility for our nation. I want you to take responsibility for your church. I want to help you do that. So I'm going to ask everybody with your heads bowed and your eyes shut, just for a minute, just think. Think about what God's saying to you. As you're sitting there, perhaps today in this audience, you say, Pastor, when you talked about being spiritually impoverished, having a poverty spirit spiritually, something registered in my heart. You're spiritually impoverished if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says that there's only one way to come to the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus. Only Jesus paid the price for our sins. Only Jesus paid the price for our eternity. And the only doorway to heaven is through Him. And we do that by yielding and saying, God, I recognize that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for man's sin, my sin. I want that spiritual poverty broken off my life today. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Say, Pastor, that's me. Hands going up everywhere. You're not born again, but today you want to be born again. I want spiritual poverty broken off my life. I want to be born again. I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to pray for the rest of you before we close. I want to break a spirit of poverty. But here's what I want you to do. There are some of you here today and you haven't listened to the prophetic voices over your life. You need to repent. You need to say, wait a minute. I've had men of God speak to me. I've had my pastor say things and I've made light of it. Do you remember the time that I told people buy houses? Everybody who listened to me thanks me every time I see them. Others I told build businesses. I have many businesses that came out of people obeying that word. I'm telling you now is the season to get ready for a wealth transfer like you've never seen before. But I'm also telling you that it's going to be contested for. The enemy is not just going to roll over and let you do this. God himself, by his Holy Spirit, is going to show you what he wants to do to teach you how to do this. So listen to what I'm saying. Number two, I want you to begin to make a decision today to operate by the opposite spirit. I want you to start operating in your health, in your, in your social life. Some of you have some friends you've got to cut off. Some of you are being brought down. Bad company is corrupting your good morals. And you keep playing in that field and you think you're going to get, that's a spirit of poverty sent to destroy you. Cut it off. 
finally, we need to confess all known sin. Some of us have not taken sin seriously. The Bible says that I cannot prosper you with unconfessed sin in your life. If you regard sin, if you regard iniquity in your life, I can tell you something. It begins to bring a spirit of poverty into your situation. But God is just. He wants you to be broken free of that. Continually confess your sin. Continually make yourself accountable. So if today, if one of those areas you need to deal with, I just want you to lift your hands where you're at. Say this after me. Say, Holy Spirit, as I stand before you, I know that you know my heart. You're the judge of every man's deeds. And I'm asking you today to begin to move against the spirit of, prof- a spirit of poverty in my life. To bring me into prosperity. I choose today to believe in you, O oh God. And you said you'll establish me. But I also believe in your prophets so that I can prosper. I choose today to operate in an opposite spirit. An opposite spirit to the spirit of poverty. Spiritual prosperity. Physical prosperity. Social prosperity. And material prosperity. Are mine. And finally... I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm confessing my sins before you. I don't want to regard these in my heart anymore. I want to prosper. Now in the name of Jesus, as I confess my sins, I'm asking you to remove from me and my family a spirit of poverty. Now begin to just confess your sins to God under your breath. Tell him, say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for this. Take, take action today. Father, I pray right now on behalf of this congregation as they're confessing their sins, as we're confessing our sins before you, Father, that you would move by your Holy Spirit. Father, we desire to see the prosperity of this nation return. We desire to see the blessing return. Father, not just money. Father, we desire you. Above all, we desire you. We desire you in our hearts and our lives. We desire real relationships that are wholesome and full of your love and grace and your mercy. We desire health in our bodies. Father, yes, we desire prosperity in our finances. We renounce and we curse every spirit of poverty, every spirit of greed, and every spirit of fear in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, that you would move on behalf of our nation as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We're asking to lift us up now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.